Outkick 360 is back. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Paul Koharski with the day off. Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson making the show happen for us. And David Reed is the chairman of the board. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, Sarah Triplett, and the entire cast. Here from Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee, Blackbird Studio and the Blackbird Academy. Always great hosts for us each and every day for Outkick 360. Big show today. John McClain will join us from the Houston Chronicle. We'll talk NFL headlines with one of the best. Pro Football Hall of Fame selector, among other things. Uh, plenty to hit across the National Football League. Chad, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Hutton, you know what I always say? It takes a village, and we have the sexiest village on the planet right here at Blackbird Studios, <laughs> and that's evident every single day I walk in here, and yeah. I see Jacob Swanson in a Rusty Wallace Nissan hat. <laughs> I see um, Lance Lee's long flowing locks. I see David Reed and his magnificent beard. I'm not going to say anything about our intern because I don't know the rules about that. <laughs> so I'll just keep going on and say, I look to my right and see this man in his perfect hair and his uh, well-coiffed uh, well beard. <laughs> Didn't go with a well-coiffed hair, well-coiffed beard and uh, magnificent wardrobe every day and it really is just remarkable. and look at you you have a shine about you today that you know, there's a glow there, about is, a, there is a glow about me today i am pumped up you know why there's a glow today hutton it is outkick 360 masters day this is one of our premier our prime events that we have every single year jonathan hutton has done a great job organizing it it goes to a great cause it is tonight. We are going to have a great time. It all benefits the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society uh, and the Tennessee chapter here locally, uh, but across the, the, the great nonprofit or across the country, they do phenomenal work. Uh, the majority of cancer research and breakthroughs comes through the research of blood cancers. Uh, beating cancer is in our blood. I learned that firsthand whenever uh, I was a part of the fundraiser Boots on the Ground back in 2019, and a friend of the show, Catfish Jake, uh, if you've seen some of the promos, we've introduced you to him. He's doing the same fundraiser I did two years ago, and we're supporting him the same way he supported us back in 2019. So tonight, all about uh, a lot of friends and fun and raising money for a great charity. Shout out to Taylor Farms and Lucent Logistics for stepping up and be, being our, our presenting sponsors tonight. I love the, um, the element of this, this whole event because you have the people that are there for the social event, you have the people that are there that are serious top golfers that are ready to win this thing, that are in it to win it. Then you have the perfect mix of both. The ones who are there for the social event, but also uh, there to be serious about the golf. So we will be visiting different bays tonight, walking around. We will have our own version of sort of a full broadcast yeah. across all channels. We're every, everywhere now without Kick360 on the OTT network. So we're going to be at a number of different places social media-wise tonight, walking around, giving you a feel and a flavor for what this event is. Chad, we were one out away, one out away from winning our 360 parlay last night. The Braves led one nothing. We have the Braves' money line to pair with the Cubs' plus one and a half. We won that bet in the afternoon matchup. We moved to the nightcap. Braves at Phillies. Bottom of the ninth. Two out, a runner on, Braves up one nothing. The Phillies jack a two-run home run and a walk-off with two outs in the ninth, and we lose our 360 parlay last night. I feel like we were on the, the featured episode of Bad Beats with Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, we don't want to uh, bore you too much with our bad beats, but this is now back-to-back -back <laughs> nights 
<laughs> of truly, truly bad beats. And last one, last night crushed me because not only was it a bad beat from a gambling standpoint, it was me watching my team live while texting Hutton give up a two-run bomb to lose a game they were winning one to nothing on the backs of a terrific performance from rookie pitcher Tucker Davidson. And then a Phillies rookie comes up, has never hit a home run, and I saw that zero next to the home run mark, and I said, he's going to hit a home run right now to end this game. You watch. Second pitch, bomb, no doubt about it. Braves lose. We lose the parlay. Very, very excruciating way to lose a parlay and for my Braves to lose the game. And then on the night before, it was my play. I had the Sixers minus six and a half. They won that easily. And I had them, I think, pl- over 214 points. They were headed in that direction, and they got such a big lead, they took the foot off the gas. Yeah, foot off the gas. And we're just running the shot clock out and not interested in Coast scoring. Mode. And because of that, we lost the over by four combined points for either team. We were four points short. So that has been our last two nights. And uh, we'll get to it, I guess, a little bit later. But Paul Koharski, even though he's not here today, he has our parlay for tonight. Yes. Chad, I'm flipping channels last night. And I'm watching the Braves, but I'm, I'm paying attention to the NBA, or trying to. And it hits me, what, I'm watching Phoenix and Denver. The NBA has a problem. And it's the lack of compelling matchups in the postseason on a night-in, night-out basis. You mentioned Philly getting up such a, a big lead that they could take their foot off the gas in the second round of the postseason. Phoenix is up by 30 points over Denver at one point. And you tune in, like, even if I want to tune in to watch the product, it's not compelling enough to stick with it. And I need, like, an alert when it's the final three minutes of the game. That didn't even come into effect last night. When, when you get to, like, a ten or 7 to 10-point spread and you want to tune in to see the runs that are going to be made, that didn't happen last night in that game. I don't know what more the NBA can do in that regard to keep games more competitive in the second round of their postseason. As teams have advanced past the first round, you should get the cream of the crop. And I don't think we've seen, I mean, the, especially in the Western Conference, the Western Conference first round was a lot more compelling than what we've seen to begin. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, you go through each individual series, and uh, you're right. I mean, it's been, it's been a mismatch already in the second round. Brooklyn has destroyed Milwaukee in the first two games. Phoenix has destroyed Denver in the first two games. Philly and Atlanta's tied at one, but... It was really alternating blowouts. I mean, Atlanta was way ahead. Right. In game one, Philly made a right. run late, made it interesting. But then, you know, Philly pulls away there. And then with the Clippers in Utah, here's the other thing, too. I, I think there's, there's some good and bad with this. Okay, the Lakers go down. We talked about what that would do to the ratings, the interest in the NBA. Love or hate LeBron James and the Lakers, the Lakers are a draw. They're a draw nationally. That's a team that people uh, will get behind either for or against because of LeBron James. Star power that's left. Brooklyn has a lot of star power. They are a compelling team, and they are rolling right now. I love watching the Phoenix Suns play. I love the way they play the game. But when they're boat racing the Nuggets in the first two games, it's not nearly as compelling. Philadelphia and Atlanta, not a ton to get excited about there with that series. Trey Young, yes. Philly, a number one seed, trying to do something big for the first time in a while, sure. Clippers have some star power with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Utah's not going to get anyone excited. They're the number one seed in the West. I do think that there is an issue with um, not necessarily competitive balance, but every game being competitive. 
having a series. We can go back to the, the Preds and Hurricanes in the NHL. It was a six-game series, but every game, for the most part, was very competitive. You're having these blowouts. I do like the fact that Michael Malone, the coach for the Denver Nuggets, comes out after that game last night and was very honest about his team's effort. Said there was one team who showed up. I don't know how that happened, wanted it, though. And there's another team who just was not as interested. I mean, that game and looked if, like a, a game in January. You know how yeah. the, the, the knock against the NBA is the season doesn't really start until after the All-Star break. And that it just looked like team uh, one team was just going through the motions. And I, I, when I tune in and see a blowout, as much as I – I mean, I don't tune in uh, that much to the NBA regular season. Uh, some, but not a ton. And especially prior to the start of the year. Once I tune in, I want to be engaged in an actual matchup and have some skin in the game on seeing a compelling game down the stretch. I'm not even seeing that right now in the no. postseason in the second round. It's not even close. And I don't, I don't want to read too much into one video. We discuss this a lot about you're watching teams in a handshake line or teams take the court or the field and reading too much into body language and attitude and what's going on with players. But I'm watching inside the NBA, and I think this was in their pregame or halftime show the other night. And they had video of Jokic winning the MVP award. Yeah. Where Adam Silver comes on a conference call, they're in a meeting room in a hotel, and he tells him that he's the MVP, that he's won MVP. It was a very weird room. And I'm watching that now and thinking the way the Nuggets have started this series, yeah. it was a very weird, uh, tepid response. It's, I don't know if they were mad at Adam Silver or what's going on, but it was it was barely even an applause. There was a couple guys like, all right, way to go. And Jokic kind of stood up and gave a very weird address to the team. It's just, you know, you watch these videos of uh, kids in college that are walk-ons getting the scholarship, and you see everyone dogpile them and go nuts for their teammate and get really excited. It was the opposite when Jokic won MVP. Uh, with the Nuggets around him, I, I just found, again, I don't want to read too much into mm. it. I'm not there day-to-day -day covering the Denver Nuggets. I don't know the whole personality and ethos of their locker room. But just as an outsider watching that, it was a very strange and tepid reaction and response to Jokic being named MVP. Then they go out there and get housed for a second straight game. This was in their, on their day off, the day after they lost bad in game one. And then the next night they go out last night and get killed again. So just very strange. Chad, momentum is building for an eight-game college football playoff. And the report from CBS Sports uh, through Dennis Dodd was that expansion will likely be agreed upon soon, but it will not be in place for at least a couple of seasons. There are contracts and, and, and agreements to certain bowl games and television deals. We're going to see it jump up to eight at least. Would you like to see more? Would you like to see more teams involved? Twelve. 14, 16, or do you think a gradual build to 12, 14, or 16 is better for college football? Because to me, eight doesn't, if you told me eight teams were involved in the college football playoff versus the four that we've seen in recent years, it's still Alabama and Clemson they are going to win the national titles. Yeah, it's, and it's, well, look, it's, it's probably going to be that with 16 also because well, those teams are just so dominant. But I'm, I'm saying it, they, they won and advanced, in many cases, in blowouts Yeah, in the semis. Um, may, you, you may have some more compelling middle-seeded matchups if you, if you 
raise it to 12 teams or 14 teams. But the top seeds are going to crush these other matchups on the field whenever they play them. And you hope for well, one compelling national I, championship game. I, I'm all for more teams, whether that be 12 or 16. I, I've always been for more teams in a playoff. And here's the reason why. We've discussed a lot about the shifting goals of different programs in college football and how it's naive to think that everyone's out there playing for a national title. They're not. There's six to seven teams playing for a national title every year. That's what college football has become. The four-team playoff has added to that. There's really six or seven teams that have a legitimate shot going into every year. And there's different levels of goals for different levels of teams. MTSU and North Texas aren't going into a season thinking, guys, we're going to win the national title this year. But they are going into seasons thinking, we're going to win our conference, that's the goal, and we're going to go to a good bowl game. And that's fine. The Tennessees of the world right now, South Carolina, go through middling to below major conference programs. Yes. Iowa State, even, even though they played for a, a national – just go down the list of those programs. They're playing for different things in Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State also, and that's fine. But what a 16-team playoff does is it gives a lot more teams a chance to play for a playoff spot. Is the team that finishes 14th, 15th, or 16th ever going to win the national title in college football? Maybe not. I don't think they're good enough. I don't think any team past Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma – is going to be good enough in the near future, maybe Georgia, to, to win a national title. But you get to 14, 15, 16, we're not talking about teams that are going to win at all. But what we are talking about is renewed interest in 25 to 32 different programs and their fan bases into November, deeper into the season. Why does the NBA playoffs expand? Why does the NHL playoffs expand? Why does Major League Baseball always want to add playoff teams? It's because it keeps fan bases interested longer into the season. So if you give a fan base a carrot, and that carrot is if you finish in the top 16 nationally, this is doable now for a lot more programs. You can play in our big dance. You can play for a national title. That's a delicious carrot to put out there for a fan base. And because of that, when there's more interest, when there's renewed interest in teams, I think this is a good thing. I don't think it waters anything down, Hutton simply because the teams that are the great teams right now are going to be there no matter what. It's going to end up in that final four of what you expect. But it gives you more compelling games and compelling reasons to tune in throughout the regular season and then into the playoff with more teams. So there's growing sentiment that a lot of the commissioners would want to see 12 teams and not eight. Well, that's because, and I, I, I think we're hearing a lot of the commissioners, I think it's the power five. I mean, the SEC definitely wants more teams because they're going to dominate. I mean, they would have a quarter of the playoff. Yeah, they at could least. get they could get five to six teams in a twelve-team playoff. Yeah, um, and you could argue that you know the Big Twelve and the Big Ten would feel like they get that additional team as well. You know, they go from two to three. So, uh, how much power will they pull? in the expansion of the college football playoff versus what we have now. This, I By the way, the, one thing that must happen with this, Hutton, and let's put this yep. at the baseline, add a group of five, at least two teams. I think if it's yeah, eight I, or I don't 12, mind that at all. I, I think you have to allow for a top two finisher, sort of a play-in type situation, but those group of five teams do that. If not, they're going to have to completely – they've pretty much broken off anyways. 
But if you're going to have this illusion of everyone playing in FBS-level football yep. at that level, you have to have an exclusion for at least two non-Power 5 teams to go to the playoff. John McClain is waiting in the wings. We will talk NFL headlines momentarily, but first, manscaped.com. Some great offers for Father's Day, which is coming up. The weather catching heat, whether you have a dad bod or if you're rocking a, a six-pack like David Reed. Make sure you and your dad smell great. They're groomed for where it matters most. Perfect for Father's Day, the all-new trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0 with the refined cologne by Manscaped. The global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. They've got it all. Additional guard link sizes 1 through 4. Wireless charging system for that Lawnmower 4.0. Fellas, it's time to pull the plug on wired trimmers and go with that lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. And the man of the house deserves to smell like a king. The cologne, perfect complement to the collection. It's light, it's approachable, it's gentlemanly, all in the right ways, much like Chad Withrow. 20% off plus free shipping with the code OK360 at manscaped.com. 20% off. You see the ad there right there on the screen. 20% off plus free shipping with the code OK360 at manscaped.com. Whether it's a gift for you, your dad, the men in your life, 20% off free shipping with the code OK360 at manscaped.com. It is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by John McClain, the general, the man in black. You can follow him on Twitter, at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. He has covered the league for more than four decades. Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. And he's based out of Houston, where he covers the Texans for the Houston Chronicle. John, hope you're doing well, and uh, can't wait for you to get to Nashville this weekend. I'm doing great, guys. I can't wait to get to my home away from home for the Mike uh, Hammerdinger fundraiser. It's going to be at Jeff Fisher's uh, farm, and it's a sellout. It's going to be Jeff Fisher, Eddie George, George Plaster, John Dwyer, and myself telling stories. You guys know I like to tell stories. I wish we had about five hours because I never run out. Plenty to get to that night, I'm sure. And, uh, I have a feeling that a lot of the late 90s, early 2000s stories will be told with the team moving here uh, and, and going on the run that it did. And, and the Titans feel like, Titans fans here feel like they're about to go on another run with the addition of Julio Jones to this offense that was averaging 31 points per game a year ago. And we had you on last week and, and you said, look, I, I can't think of a wide receiver addition that automatically boosts your Super Bowl chances. But when you think of Julio Jones joining the Titans within this division, does it put the Titans clearly ahead of everyone else? Uh, in the division, I picked them to win the division anyway. They didn't need Julio Jones. I think what this means now, as long as he stays healthy, that they're going to be right up there behind Kansas City. I think as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are with the Chiefs, people are going to pick them to be the Super Bowl team in AFC every year. But you mentioned the Titans averaging 31 points a game. It's amazing how many people follow the NFL or cover the NFL, and they don't realize how many points the Titans score. They think of them as a running team, and running teams don't usually score a lot, but the Titans do. The idea of having Julio Jones and A.J. Brown opposite each other, not just two great receivers, but two big, powerful receivers, and the biggest and the most powerful running back in the NFL and Derrick Henry. And no wonder Ryan Tannehill restructured his contract because he's going to be 
biggest beneficiary. And I tell you what, they're going to score a lot of points to help the defenses better, and they don't give up as many. But like everybody, I thought it was a tremendous deal by John Robinson and Mike Vrabel. Uh, I can't wait to watch the Titans this season. And, John, I I definitely agree that it it takes the Titans, I think, to a different level of expectation. The expectation was going to be the playoffs. Expectation was going to be to win the division. But they go from basically a a toss-up in Vegas with Indy of winning the AFC South to the favorite to win the AFC South. These five teams I'm going to throw at you right now in the AFC I think have a legitimate chance at getting to and winning a Super Bowl. You tell me if you agree or disagree with any of these five. Kansas City, Tennessee, um, Baltimore, Buffalo, Cleveland. Do you agree with those five, or would you take any of those out of the mix? I agree, and I would add Pittsburgh into the mix because Ben Roethlisberger has, who I believe will be the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year running back, Najee Harris. They were 32nd in rushing. Their running game is going to be better. They've worked on their offensive line. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win it. All those teams you mentioned have issues. The one that I think after Kansas City and Tennessee would be Buffalo. Buffalo in 2019 was a wild card team, lost to Houston. Then last year, Buffalo was really good. I think they're going to be even better. They'll run away with AFC East. Miami probably going to be a wild card. But I think when it comes down to it, they say defense wins championships. But when you got to force them, like the Titans will have, including the best running back who just wears down defenses, to me that's going to be the team that's going to challenge Kansas City. I think it's a matter, is the AFC championship game going to be played in Nashville or is it going to be played in Kansas City? And another reason I think this is a – a good move. And I hate it when I hear people go, well, they're going to win now mode. They were already in the win now mode. They weren't rebuilding. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. They added to an already talented offense. And I know AJ Brown was recruiting him. There's a lot of talk that if Julio Jones plays well, he's going to want a new contract. Well, you got AJ Brown coming up. They don't have to worry about that this year, but if this works out the way they want it to and the way they expect it to, they're going to have contract issues, but it'll be a good problem to have. John, you make great points there. That John Robinson is being praised for trading a second round and a fourth round and also receiving a sixth round. And the fourth round pick in a couple of years will likely be a compensatory pick that he'll get back for a free agent that he potentially loses. We don't know that yet. Um, but nonetheless, on the flip side of that, are you surprised that another general manager – across the entire league didn't but didn't try to up that offer, make it a second and a third to acquire Julio Jones. And I know the salary is a big deal, uh, that, that Atlanta di- di- wanted to get rid of the complete contract. They didn't want to pick up a portion of it to move him, and the Titans were willing to do that. Are you surprised that another team did not make a better offer for Julio Jones? No, and uh, maybe they did, but maybe they were in the NFC South. Maybe they were in the NFC. Maybe they wanted to trade him out of the NFC to the AFC. So there was that report on ESPN two weeks ago. They had number one pick on the table. Nobody bought that. And people are, why didn't they get more? They got the most that they could get. They got the best deal. You know, new general manager Terry Fontenot is not going to say, okay, we here's a better offer. Here's a better offer. Let's take the Titans offer. No, 
they took the best deal that they could get. And I thought it was a tremendous deal for the Titans. And only time will tell when you see what Atlanta does with those draft choices. But I'll say this, Atlanta had the worst salary cap situation in the NFL going into the league year. And that Jones contract was one of the reasons. So they restructured Matt Ryan, his cap figure next year, 48.5 million. It's going to have to be redone again. And so they gave themselves huge relief with this trade. So it extends beyond what they got from the Titans and draft choices. Is it fair to compare the Randy Moss trade to New England to what the Titans have done to acquire Julio Jones? Two, uh, one's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The other one will be. Randy was going into year number 10. Julio's going into year number 11. Fair to compare? Well, Randy Moss is one of the great top five receivers in history. Julio Jones is not. But for players uh, later in their careers, and in, in, in Jones's case, going into his 11th season, rookie in 2011, it's, it's a great move. Yes, you have great receivers being traded late in their career. Moss, of course, didn't last long there. He bounced around at the end of his career, and I'm sure Julio Jones thinks this is his last spot, and I don't blame him. Now, if you are Jones, you got to feel like you died and went to heaven. You go from a team that was no good, that could be in a rebuilding mode with a new coach, Arthur Smith, new GM, Terry Fontenot, to an established team coming off a division title first in 2008, but blew that second playoff game after they'd gotten to the AFC championship game, and this shows how determined Robinson and Vrabel are about not letting a repeat performance happen in the playoffs. Now, I know Mike Vrabel is cringing. You guys are talking about the playoffs, the Super Bowl. We haven't even played one game. We haven't had training camp. But you know, when he's not talking publicly, he's rubbing his hands together because he is so excited to get Julio Jones to go into that offense because of all the options they have running and receiving. Yes, I, I agree. And we were discussing the, the energy around the Titans facility and within that Titans locker room and comparing it to what it must feel like in Green Bay. We were discussing this yesterday uh, and, and what players must be discussing there behind the scenes and behind closed doors. Aaron Rodgers wasn't expected to be there anyway right now. Um, that we've known because of the, the way he feels about the organization. But there, there's a growing sentiment, John, that believe he is eventually going to show up. Are you in that boat? Are you in that camp? Or do you agree with Peter King, who this week wrote that he would still bet that Aaron Rodgers is likely to sit out instead of play for Green Bay? Well, as Mike Florio pointed out, that'll cost him $44.5 million. How many people do you know, other than Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, can take a hit of $44.5 million? That would be base salary if they came after his unearned portion of his signing bonus, roster bonus. And the thing that I believe, if you go back to his last interview with Kenny Mayne on ESPN, in which he said he loves his coaches, he loves his players, he loves the fans, well, he doesn't love the GM, maybe the team president. He doesn't have to talk to them. He doesn't around them. Players don't get around those guys unless they want to be around them. You know, they're not hanging out in the locker room. They're not hanging out in the media room. And if he loves everybody, like he says, and he's as competitive and loves playing the game like his teammates 
and former teammates say he'll be there and he can afford to lose a money fine for the mini camp but they said they're not going to I keep seeing speculation they're not going to find him. If you find a player, you cannot rescind it anymore. So you just don't find him. They have that option, and that would be a goodwill gesture. So if Aaron Rodgers wants to play and is as competitive and he loves everybody, he'll play for the Packers this year. Say they trade him to Denver. Where's Denver going? Denver's not a playoff team. They're not a Super Bowl contender. Rodgers wouldn't make them a Super Bowl contender. But if he goes back to the Packers, he's been in the NFC Championship game in the last two years, he'd be a Super Bowl contender. And I'll say this, he tried to get a long-term extension that would basically guarantee that he was going to finish his career there. And remember, Jonathan, he wants to play into his 40s, and I think he's 37. And had he gotten that extension, would he love Brian Gutekunst, the GM, too? Because that's the one that would have given him the money. So that's something we're not going to know, but I believe – Aaron Rodgers will play for the Packers this season, and I do not believe he will sit out or retire. And the, some of his former teammates and have said in the media, they talk to him, they believe he'll be there. The media says he won't be, but a lot of the players say, well, not that I don't trust us, but I trust better the people mm-hmm. that talk to him and play with him. John, the organizational comparison to make with the Packers in this Aaron Rodgers story is what the Packers did in drafting Aaron Rodgers to eventually replace Brett Favre when you're looking at trading up and drafting Jordan Love. And and I admit, maybe my memory is a little bit fuzzy here, but I seem to recall pretty quickly the Packers knew they had something great in Aaron Rodgers. Even when he wasn't the starter those first two years, they were clearly ready for him to be the starter quickly, when even when Brett Favre was there. I'm not getting the same vibes from the Packers on Jordan Love based on their confidence in him to take over sooner rather than later for Aaron Rodgers. What do you make of what the Packers think of Jordan Love right now, or do we really know? Chad, like, let's go back to that draft. They had no interest in Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. He, there was talk here, Alex Smith would be the number one pick. A lot of people thought it would be Rodgers. A lot of people said he comes from Jeff Tedford's system. It's a, he's a system quarterback, and he's not going to make it in the NFL because Jeff Tedford quarterbacks don't make it in the NFL. And up to that point, that was true in a lot of cases. But he kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And the general manager, Ted Thompson, when it got to the pick, he said, hey, he's the highest rated guy on our board even though Brett's the starter and Brett's going to finish his career here, we're going to take him. We're going to sit him. They set him for three years. And the way he ended up finally getting the starting job, uh, Favre had told him he was retiring. They went to his house in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Now Mike McCarthy and the team president and the coach and they went and the GM, they went there and said, now this time, are you retiring for sure? He said, I am. That was on their way to the senior bowl. So afterward, they went back, and uh, the way I heard it, Mike McCarthy had a football and a team meeting, and he said, Brett's retiring, and he tossed that ball to Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron, this is your team. And then a few weeks later, Favre changed his mind. They had moved on. So this time, they traded up to get Jordan Love, and people are like, oh, my God, how could they do that? Well, Rodgers had two years in a row with 25 and 26 touchdown passes. His rating was sub 100 double digits 
So if you look back, you could see why they got another quarterback. Then, motivated by that pick, he throws 48 touchdown passes, a career high, and is voted MVP and comes one step short of the Super Bowl. And so I still think if the Packers were to redo his contract, give him some more money, extend him, say, five years instead of three, because his base salaries are not big. He got a lot of money in a signing bonus. So if they were to redo that contract, I bet you Aaron Rodgers would come back and he would he would be like Jesus. He'd love everybody. John, it's really easy this time of year to buy into certain storylines and overhype certain areas and, and quotes of what players say, what coaches say, and general managers say through the media. With that being said, yesterday I said I thought it was important. I mean, we hadn't heard from Jordan Love yet. I said I thought it was important that he sound like a number one quarterback when he spoke to the media yesterday in Green Bay following his practice, instead of acting like a placeholder until Aaron Rodgers returns. Uh, just to send a message that he's drafted in the first round, he knows he's drafted to eventually be the Green Bay starter, and he's ready. And he did that. He was asked if he was ready to start, and he said, 100%, I'll be ready week one. Do you find that as, a, as important as I do, just from the optics and the perception of things? Well, if you're into perception, it doesn't mean squat about how he's going to play. His media relations people prepared him for that interview because I think it was the first he's given, and he yes. said all the right things, as he should have said all the right things. And, um, you know, he's not going to say, well, I hope Aaron comes back. And he said the right things about everything. That's one of the reasons they drafted the guy. They liked him. They spent a lot of time with him. And in back in two consecutive seasons, Rodgers had 52 touchdown passes, and he goes out and throws 48. And this is a good problem to have. You have one of the greatest quarterbacks in history, and you have a young guy that you like. The key is, do you want to stick with a great, one of the greatest quarterbacks in history into his 40s, and or do you want to move on? And the longer they wait on Rodgers, the less they're going to get for him in a trade because of his age. All very true. You can follow John McClain on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, have you covered one of those NFL games in Germany from the early to mid-90s in the preseason? And are you looking forward to going back whenever the, the league announces where that city is going to be? Let me tell you a story about that because the story's out there. Uh, Oliver Luck, former Oilers quarterback who's had a lot of jobs, and Oliver was the president of the team in Germany. And he catered to all the military people because there are army bases, military bases all over Germany. And he told me at the time some of the promotions that he did, and it was in Frankfurt, and they sold out, and they had a blast. And because they were so successful, they made him the uh, president of uh, NFL Europe. And so there's no doubt Germany has come a long way since then, and it's not just because of the military guys in that country it's because the fans like it but i when i saw the story it was all about how much the fans love nfl and all all about the fans while they watch on tv not very much about the military but that's a big part of it i think if you put a team there and berlin with their great soccer stadium to me which would not take a lot to get nfl ready or they could build a new one they're going to get a great turnout and a great rivalry with the teams that play in London. So, John, as of right now, uh, coaches 
can elect to not get vaccinated, but then they're not going to be a part of their teams or they're not going to be around their teams. Players, on the other hand, because the union are allowed to not get vaccinated. The debate now becomes in 2020, if you were on the COVID-19 reserve list, you received your game check. Do you think players in 2021, if they find themselves on the COVID-19 reserve list, should they receive a game check? Because it's a personal issue and you've not been ordered to get a vaccination. I think if you were ordered and you refused to, and then you got on a COVID-19 list, then maybe you paid a fine or something, but the union will squawk. If you're on a team, you should be paid. If the team doesn't like it, then cut you or trade you. Now, I think it's asinine to not get vaccinated. I had two vaccinations months ago. I feel so much comfortable, so much more comfortable. I'll guarantee you when camp rolls around, every coach will be vaccinated because if you can't get in a room with your players and you can't get up close to them, you better find another job because you're going to be out of there, especially if they have a guy who's an assistant position coach at your position. And Washington brought in uh, vaccination experts to talk to the team because a couple of the players, well, I read where you could die if you get the vaccination. And I'm like, what planet have you been on? I haven't seen that. And so he explained, no, you're not going to die when you get the vaccination. So a lot of players say, hey, I'm glad they do that. did that. Montez Sweat, their defensive end, who's a really good pass rusher, he's still not doing it. And he better hope he doesn't get COVID-19. And he's got to still go through all the protocols. He's got to wear the device, can't get within six feet, can't get out of his hotel room on the road, has to eat room service. And if you don't get to that certain level, everybody will have to do that. So that's a lot of pressure on people to get vaccinated so the protocols will be relaxed. Well, and, and John, because it's mandatory for coaches, it is my understanding that it is being demanded by the NFL, but the players' union is fighting back against it, and that's where the difference comes. And I can compare it to this. When the players' union fights back uh, against off-season workouts, and then Jawan James gets hurt doing his own workout because the players aren't showing up to team workouts, well, he's then not protected by the team uh, in coverage at that point. Is, is that a similar story with this, that – the players union can fight for this all they want, and it is the player's personal choice not to get vaccinated, but because we as a league are requiring vaccinations with coaches and other personnel, if a player decides not to get vaccinated, they get sick, well, guess what? The team's not on the hook to pay them at that point. Is there a similar scenario there with what we saw with Juwan James and these off-season workouts? Well, the league has recommended it, and they're still leaving it as your personal choice, and then you have the protocols that if you don't do it, you're still going to be in it. And if enough of them do that, that's going to keep the team from having the protocols relaxed. One thing Mike Florio brought up that I wondered, if player can be in the locker room without being vaccinated, why the, can't the media be in there if you've been vaccinated twice, like me? The NFL is keeping us out of locker rooms this year, claiming it's because of COVID-19 protocols, when the real reason is, Teams just don't want the media in the locker room, which we've been doing for, let's see, 99 years now. And this will be the second year we're not in there. And so I think that players, if I don't think it's going to be like that because players are going to be at the facility. They're going to be meeting. They're going to be practicing. It may be virtually, maybe outside. But if they get COVID-19, they're still going to get paid. John, I know the Colts and the Eagles – 
they they canceled their mandatory minicamp after meeting with players. Why did the Texans decide to do it? Yeah, 49ers, Cowboys, a lot of teams are doing it. David Culley told uh, the media after the last OTA uh, yesterday that after the first phase, which is four weeks of conditioning, phase two and three, players are on the field with the coaches. Well, the union was really recommended to players, as you guys just talked about, to not be there. Well, because the Texans have a lot of new players, new coaches, new systems, they're trying to set a foundation with a culture. He met with the veterans. He said, look, instead of a lot of you staying away for the last four weeks, just showing up for the three-day mini camp, if you guys will come and work hard and help us accomplish what we want over these next four weeks, then we won't have the mini camp. So it was better to have a lot of players for four weeks and a lot of players for three days, and the players agreed to do it. They did it, and that's why they canceled it. John, I know uh, among his many stops as a player, Jim Fossil was a quarterback briefly in Houston. I don't know how well you knew him, uh, but he passed away this this week at the age of 71. Of course, he was one of three coaches that took the New York Giants to play in a Super Bowl, the Super Bowl that they lost to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, your thoughts on the passing of Fossil? Never heard anybody say anything bad about Jim Fossil. Good coach, good offensive coach, had a lot of friends, did it for a long time. His death caught a lot of people off guard. His son is a coach for the Cowboys, and I know he and the family are devastated, but Jim Fossil is going to be missed by a whole lot of people in and out of the NFL, and condolences to his family and friends. John McClain headed to Music City. Uh, he will arrive tomorrow and then welcomed by the thousands. His at, home away from home. At Jeff Fisher's said. event at Jeff Fisher's farm, uh, raising money for the Mike Heimerdinger Foundation, the late offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, uh, among other spots, and uh, uh, leaves a legend uh, and a legacy there in raising money for the local community for cancer patients who need healthy meals. That's what they're raising money for. It is a great effort and a great foundation and a great event where a lot of stories will be told. And it's sold out so quickly that we don't even have to give the website for tickets. I mean, it's, it's going to be a packed house, and that's because John is in town. John, we're thrilled for you, man. And uh, thank you so much for joining the show and in, enjoy Nashville this weekend. I can't wait to get there, my home away from home. And I know this happens to you guys. When you get off the plane, when you come back home, and you have that red carpet laid out <laughs> from the gate all the way outside, y'all. Yeah, that, when right? we were when we were saying packed house, John, we weren't talking about just at the event. We were talking about the, on the tarmac as well yeah. when you land. That there's going to be a throng of people there waiting to greet it's you. It's difficult though, John, to find the stretch pink Hummer that you requested. <laughs> There's only one person at OutKick that gets that kind of reception. <laughs> and it's not you guys, and it ain't Paul either. I think his name is Clay. Yep. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you, John. Yeah, that's right. Clay Travis, uh, definitely uh, with the, the pink stretch Hummer. Yes. We had the stretch Hummer limo for prom. You had a stretch Hummer yeah. limo? Yes. I, thought, I didn't know you grew up in Brentwood. I thought you grew up in McMinnville. <laughs> Man, I don't think they had one of those where I'm I didn't from. book it. I, I showed up. Nice. I mean, you know, this is like uh, uh, one of the girls' families. We, we all met. We uh, we met as a group of friends and went to prom together in the limo uh, after after dinner. Did you didn't do anything like this? You just picked up your date and we, drove. to... We did a limo. I, I think we did a limo. Yes, we had a limo and went um, to dinner. I want to say like melting pot 
in Nashville was the dinner. Was this your buddy Randall that also watched no, Star Wars? No, 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 no. No, Randall was out playing in a mud hole probably for prom. <laughs> um, I, I'm I, the people that that. So this was the era, the late '90s, yeah, late '90s, early 2000s. Are the people that purchased the Hummer? Are they are they regretting that purchase like to their to their core now, or is it like a a relic that you look back on and you can't wait to buy the car back? Like I had a pickup truck in high school that at one point at some point in my life I will purchase again. I'm going to either find it or the exact model and color because I want it back. Um, do you think that same person wants the wants the Hummer? I the mean, H2 or I, whatever it was. Unless they're like in the military or ex-military. I, they're I every, like, everyone was craving it. I don't think that people, like the Hummer became like the Range Rover. You know, it just, it progressed. It yeah. went from Hummer to Range Rover uh, to different types of SUVs. Now it's like the Ford Bronco. The Ford Bronco is back and a ton of people want the Ford Bronco. So I would equate that to the Hummer craze of the late 90s, early 2000s. The other thing are the Jeep Wrangler people. Like the Jeep people, it's like their own secret yeah. society with the waves and but everything. The Hummer, the, but the kids that had the Jeep in high school, they didn't go on to buy the Jeep 15 years later or to keep purchasing Jeeps. But at that least was a very got, high school cool thing to have. But the, right? the, the Hummer, I don't know if Lance, Lance and, and Jakob grew up in the same era. Like the Hummer was known for getting like eight miles to the gallon. I mean, this, this was just a money sucker once you got it. At least the the Jeep gets like twelve to thirteen miles to the gallon, right? Like like a pickup truck would. Uh, so like, <laughs> I just remember people driving this, and every day they'd have to go to the gas station. Every day. I mean, it, it, the the Jeep Wrangler, the the crowd, and, and the Hummer to an extent too. It's such a uh, tight knit community of yes. people that drive the car, and I was always a little uncomfortable. My buddy Jake had a Jeep Wrangler, and he was one of the first ones to turn sixteen. And he got that car. It was like at a police auction. I remember his dad got it really oh. cheap. It was like a car that was taken by the cops because it housed like pounds of cocaine <laughs> inside of the Jeep Wrangler. And then so he got it off a police auction for cheap. But it was a green Jeep Wrangler. And I remember him waving at everyone on the street that had a Jeep. And I'm thinking, this is both really cool and really creepy <laughs> to wave at people you don't know because you're driving the same vehicle. And it was the, you know, you would take everything off. It had the soft top. But you could take all of it off, and even the doors off during the summer, and ride around town. It was it was a big deal then. But do the Jeep people continue to be Jeep people, or does that yeah, go away no, too? Is that, no, the is people that, that I know that are Jeep people are still Jeep people. Still Jeep people. Yes, yes. Wow. If you're having trouble finding that Hummer, mydoctorhank.com can help you. Let's let's make it real simple. Fifty percent off. MyDrHank.com. Look, erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men, but it does not have to make you feel like half of a man. Since 2017, MyDrHank has been making America hard again. MyDrHank helps you get low-cost ED meds to overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. From talking about Hummers to talking about MyDrHank. Perfect segue. And also with Dr. Hank, you can get it shipped discreetly to you from a U.S. pharmacy. So... It's no reason that you need to keep it a secret. Now, over half of, Amer of Americans have this problem, but if you want it shipped discreetly, they can do that from a U.S. pharmacy, and the offer is something you cannot pass up. Well, and it's all for as low as $2 per pill. MyDrHank.com slash OutKick. He's going to give you 50% off your first subscription by going to MyDrHank.com slash OutKick. 50% off your first subscription to MyDrHank.com slash OutKick.
We are about to give you our 360 parlay, and we we started the show today on Outkick 360, Chad. Pain. With our with, with our pain. pain. We started with pain. Phillies, we just needed them to lose one game. The Braves were up one nothing. We had the Braves money line last night. And Hunt and I were excited, texting back and forth. Here we go. One yeah. more out. Big pop out right there with a the guy on first. Bottom of the ninth, two out. Mm. Braves are up one nothing. And mm. then the Philadelphia Phillies hit a walk-off, a two-run shot over the left field wall that ended it. 2-1, the final score, and all of our hopes and dreams dashed. And that is why... By the way, I said this yesterday to you, Hutton. The Braves have not been over 500 this season. And they've gotten to 500 exactly, I think, six or seven times now. And they've lost every single time they get to 500, refusing to go over 500 on the season. Last night they went into that game at exactly 500 and lost it with two outs in the night. Well, it's it's Painful. time to get back on the winning ways. Win. Chad said, hey, Thursday is about winning. We're going to win tonight at 360 Masters, and we're going to win tonight with a 360 parlay of FanDuel. Here is the two-leg parlay from FanDuel Sportsbook, fanduel.com slash OK360. He's taking, uh, this is PK's uh, parlay. He's taking Giannis Antetokounmpo under one and a half made threes tonight in the playoff matchup against the Bucks, And he's pairing that with over five and a half runs for his New York Yankees. Yankees over five and a half. Giannis under one and a half threes. $5 wager pays you a little over $15 at FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel.com slash OK360 to play along with us. Paul sent some uh, support to us via text on these picks and why. He says Giannis has hit two threes once in the last ten games. And the Yankees own the Twins and have scored eight and nine runs the last two games. That is his reasoning behind those picks. Our reasoning for making this pick every day is to tell you about FanDuel. Our reason for making the pick right now is to win a damn parlay, which will happen tonight. As Hutton said, we're winning without Kick360 Masters. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will win with the check we'll be presenting them. And you all will be winners when we present you with a FanDuel check for having played this parlay. Thank you and good night. You know what? Let's take all the all the winnings tonight at the event and just put them on a parlay and just go all in. We'll try to double our let's money. All just, let's do it old school. Like We'll just all take cash donations, then we'll put it into a FanDuel account, yeah. and then everyone there will play the parlay before it starts. FanDuel.com slash OK360. We are back with the Tennessee Power Hour next. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.